It sounds a bit like a conference call. That's what we're used to. Yeah. That's the world we've been in for the yeah. past year and a half. Yeah. It's just a Zoom call, guys. Just treat it like a Zoom call. You're at work with uh, a dozen of your best tone friends. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I doubt most of you have met in person, which could be. Uh... That's fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Um, all right. Well, here we are. Welcome, everyone. Dipped in Tone, episode 30, 43. <laughs> 43. This is officially the second time Zach and I have been in the same room right. for an episode of Dipped in Tone. It feels a little awkward. It is. Very <laughs> weird. Yeah, it is. But where did it shop? We're, at, we're in the office. We're in the, the podcast set here. Yeah, this is like officially like a good, the first time that this is used as like the podcast room, right? Yeah, it's the first time it's been anything but like me blaring loud guitar and uh and just putting storage like all my sweet water overflow coming in here yep so tilly and chris and myself are up this week for nam in nashville we're gonna talk about that i walked the nam show this morning and it was interesting should should we just get into that yeah okay because yeah. so. i'm last week we we issued a challenge of send us a rig to dip that would be something that would make red and i butt heads and I posted this on on Patreon and I said, send it with the subject, fight, fight, fight. And none of them were, they were too safe. Y'all need to get creative and make like, oh, this could be, this would be horrible to see. If like, if you showed up to a gig and you saw this, you would be embarrassed for that person. Yeah. That's but, what we want. We want your worst rigs. Yeah. And, and, but it's something that could appeal to one, like Rhett or my sensibilities. Yeah. Which is saying a lot about either one of us. <laughs> For instance, you could have a board that's all fuzzes that I love and Zach hates. Or uh, a bunch of weird um, Squire Vista series guitars right. that you would go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's been texting me pictures of these, these weird Squire guitars that so, look awful. No, they don't. So we've talked about it before. The Squire, um, the Supersonic, which is like. It was the Squire Vista series and then Fender made it and now Squire's making it again. And they did it in the blue sparkle, which I think it looks great. And you shat all over it. No, it it doesn't. uh, Dude, it looks bad. It looks like you left it out in the sun too long and it started to melt. Like some of the the Dan Electro designs, but the Dan Electro designs are kind of hip. You know, they've got like the German carved kind of thing going on. There's like a redeeming factors about that, whereas this just looks bad. I – we – I don't show you, Chris. You've and never get Chris's thoughts on it because Chris also it this likes much. weird, weird guitars. See, okay, so it's the Squire Supersonic, and it's essentially like a left-handed guitar flipped righty. Uh, God, I hate with like it a reverse so headstock, much. and I mean, like, you see this? What do you think? That's cool. Man. No, Aha. it's not. It's not cool. Aha! There's Wait, nothing. I mean, Drop that in the chat. You already know I like. Uh, it's true. So my assistant Chris is here. He's running the session, and Chris likes weird guitars. Weird guitars. But that's like. It's, but that's not even. Uh, it's not. No. Okay. Here's the problem with it. It's not weird enough to be cool. It's just just slightly weird and asymmetrical, and just. Uh, no, I can't do it. Man, see, okay. Well, I just think it's like it is different, but to me, it's it's not f- super foreign. But I've I've known about that guitar since it came out in like the late nineties initially. And so I've always like liked it. <laughs> so it, it's just so appealing. It's, it's a nostalgia thing for you. Though. Yeah, I guess. But <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping the shit. But I do think it's I think it's genuinely a cool looking guitar. Right. 
Okay. Uh, well, that's fine. Whatever blows your skirt up. Bum, bum force in the chat says those are really cool. Bum force. Bum force knows right. what's up. Listen, bum force. Uh, Super cool. Okay. All right. Whatever. Well. Hmm. So uh, before we get into the Nam, <laughs> dude, I'm excited to talk about the Nam show because it's different. It's really different. But before we get into that, how was your week? Uh, it's fine. We just Jesse and I burned through. We built. 100 well he built most of 150 high road circuit boards so just like soldering like crazy and we got the wildwoods um getting ready and um just this week we were like i think everybody went into this week knowing not a lot was going to get done Mm -hmm. but we put our nose down and got a lot done but it's you know it's been i have to say this is an impressive setup man yeah is it i mean obviously what people see of this is like not the shop i mean they saw it last week right uh, but what do you think? Is it bigger than you expected? It is actually. Yeah. It is. So for the uninitiated, we're in the new shop. And this is the space is now shared with uh Revolta, Novo, and Mythos. Yeah. And it's big. Yeah. Like there's some some cool things that are gonna be happening around here. But dude, I, I'm just impressed because the last time I saw like your shop was in your garage, and that would have been <laughs> in October. October of last year. Right. The last time we were in town. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to see you out of the garage and all these racks full of pedal enclosures and parts, you yeah. got trays of parts and circuit boards and stuff. Well, that was the whole thing. It's like, I'm not going to take any half measures because I mean, and I'm sure you're feeling the same way about what you're going to do with your studio and all this stuff. And like, you know, everything you're doing at your new house. It's like, I, the garage was a half measure. It was a means to an end. Right. And so moving into this, I was like, I'm not going to cut quarters on the benches. I want to get big, like industrial shelving and just do it, do it once. Right. You know? Yeah. That's what, that's how I felt my, my current space was going to be like, all right, I'm going to set up in this bedroom. It's going to be half measure until we get the, the basement set up. But that space has worked out super well. Yeah. And I think we're going to keep it for a while. Even when the studio is built in the basement, I think we're going to keep it. Well, it's such a different use. Yeah. You know, cause like that, your, your like office studio thing is gotta be so much more just like immediate, like plug in, turn yeah, it on. That's it's what's ready. great about it. Everything's patched in. There's no patch bay. There's yeah. nothing. Everything's just like flip it on and go. It's and awesome. all your cameras, like, cause when, it, when this new studio, you're going to have like, you're probably gonna have to move stuff. Uh-huh. And well, like, it's going to be like a studio, like a legit, yeah. like live room, tracking room, control room, ISO booth. Like it's going to be the whole, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So God, it's going to be so expensive. I don't want to. <laughs> Let's not talk about that anymore. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Nam, here's the deal. We're recording this at uh, 3 p.m. Central Time on Thursday. Thursday. Today's the first day of the Nam show, Summer yeah. Nam show. Of, of, of the only two days they're of having. Only two days, yeah. which traditionally there's three of Summer Nam. There's uh, two private industry days, and then usually Saturday is like the public day. Yeah. Which is always interesting. Public days are fun. Because it's a good combination of the vendors are exhausted and beat to death. And then you have the general public coming in there. Everyone's super stoked to like see all the new stuff. So excited. And to see you and like hang with you. Well, yeah. like, I mean, you, the person, the, at, yeah, you the know, person at the booth kind the, of thing. Yeah. The and vendors s- and the people. So you have this chasm of difference in energy between <laughs> the, the vendor and the poor. I mean, cause dude, it is. If you've never worked at Nam or been to Nam, like it, especially like winter Nam, you spend three or four days, eight hours a day in there. It's brutal. It, it just, it's physically exhausting. Like I mean, standing on your feet all day, you know, sucks. 
Um, but just having to, I think the thing for me that's so exhausting is keeping your energy level up to be like excited to talk to everybody. Right. And if you do that, you know, the whole show by the end of the day, it's just like, you're just so physically and emotionally drained from being like, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. It's so good. I'm so glad you're here. You know, like constantly, and not that it's disingenuous, but it is like, it, it just, especially for me, it just takes a lot out of me. I think it depends if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Yeah. Because like I, I get energy from those interactions. Like oh, yeah. I, I receive, so I could sit and just do talk to people all day. Yeah. But like for introverts, for some friends of mine that are introverted, it's like, it's like draining all of their batteries and they have to get out and go get away for a little while. Yeah. It's, it's funny. The first NAM, the first summer NAM I did by myself uh, one of my childhood best friends came up uh, and helped me with my booth. And he saw me talking to these people and he's like, this is not you. <laughs> like, because I'm pretty introverted and, and like, I don't know, I, I, I'm not huge on big public events. And he just saw me like have to light up and talk to these people. And then he could see me like physically, like having to like reset yeah. every time. He's like, I don't see how you're doing this. Yeah. So it is, but, but after that many days, of of dealing with not only with vendors and all the guests by public dates, it's horrible. But the thing about this Nam, and and this I think is a step in the right direction. I think Nam, like we've said, it's probably going to fade. But to to just go mm-hmm. is even if even if you're a Nam member, it's like five hundred bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So well, so we walk the floor, and let me describe to you how I so. The first person we ran into was Mark Agnesi on the floor. Oh, really? Yeah. He walked right up to us. It was like, this is like a high school science fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's exactly right. It, it's typically with Nam, and I, and I, this is, let me start off by saying like, this is nobody's fault. This is not like the NAM organization's fault. This is not any of the vendors' fault. This is a product of the times and the situation. Because you think about the amount of planning and effort it takes to put this event together, like a lot of, especially the bigger pedal companies, guitar companies, drum companies, for them to pull this kind of event off, it's tens of thousands of dollars and months worth of planning. And so if you think about where we're at in the pandemic and everything, by the time these bigger companies needed to decide whether or not they were going to pull the trigger on NAM, we were still like, not sure about vaccines and like there was a lot of stuff up in the air. Right. So a lot of the big and medium sized vendors that you're used to seeing at NAM just decided to, to not go combine that with the fact um, I was talking to another friend of mine who's part of NAM and he was saying, he's like, it's that. And another thing that we didn't think about, or I didn't think about, he's like, there's such a supply chain issue yeah. now with everything with shipping containers, with parts that a lot of the vendors don't want to go to NAM to face their dealers to just tell them why they can't get them stuff right now. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's something that, that, that was the first thing I thought. It's like, even if they had said, okay, we're going to get there, we're going to do this. Like they might not have any, it, they may have inventory to take to the show, but it would be, you know, months before it was even a thought that dealers yeah. could have. And that's something that I never thought about. It's like yeah. that interaction between the vendor and the dealer and the dealer coming up saying, dude, I've had X, Y, Z on order for nine months. Where's, where's my stuff? So right. if you're, if you're a vendor, why would you want to pay tens of thousands of dollars to like get your whole NAM booth together just to go be like harassed, harassed <laughs> <laughs> because you can't get your parts together? Because we're like, we're looking at it from 
the total opposite side of all the dealers. Cause I mean, that is ultimately what it's all about. And I hope that the fact that this NAM has been expensive to go to that the people that really need to go are the only ones going Yeah, and people aren't going for fun. I know there's still a lot of people doing that, Yeah, but who, was there any big companies? I mean, obviously Gibson was there. Martin's there. Gibson, Martin. no, Gibson has their guitar thrown there. Oh, so it's like, it. so Mark was just like hanging around. I just well, they assumed. were all there. Mark and JC and Cesar were all there. Yeah. You know, and we went to their Gibson garage event last night, which we should talk about. Yeah. The Gibson yeah. Garage. Um, but yeah, they were just, they're just like hanging out and walking around. Cause I thought, you know, oh, Gibson has a presence there. I was going to, oh, where's your booth? And Mark was like, yeah, we have the throne. We have the throne set up. Right. It's like, oh. Because what they're trying to do is drive all the traffic over to the new garage. Well, if everyone's in town anyway. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's in the Gulch. It's literally 10 minutes away from yeah. the convention center. Like yeah. Maybe. You could walk. I mean, it'd be a long walk, but you could walk. Now, there was a couple of really cool things. Um, is it in the Gulch? Am I, am it's, I right? It's, yeah, it's, it's like right next to the Frist Art Museum. Oh, okay. So it's downtown, but so not like So it's like Gulch. on the edge of downtown. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, most of our listeners don't care. But. Yeah, but that that's not walkable. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it basically, um, it was I was a little depressed walking in there because Nam. I, I love Nam. It's fun to like go and walk and, and see all the booths and see all the new gear and talk to people. And usually summer Nam is – rows and rows and rows of booths and i mean there's hundreds of booths yeah and right now oh they're only utilizing about half of the convention center so the other half of the floor is literally just like empty mm. it's just open space right now and the booths are spaced much farther apart now they did that for covid reasons i think right there's no carpet down either which right. is also weird yeah, yeah that, all the pictures I saw, I was like, where's the carpet? Yeah. But then, like, they only have carpet basically for the walkways. Right. So even if they put it there, there'd just be these huge squares where there's yeah. no – and Tilly was saying that it's actually – you can actually talk to people. So this is amazing. <laughs> like, this is the first NAM I've been to where you're not just being beat to death by sound. Right. And you could actually – like we're having right now, in the middle of the NAM floor, have a conversation with someone and just not be screaming at each other. Or worse, getting three inches from someone's ear and spitting into their – but that's how people get sick yeah, oh, yeah. from NAM is that well, interaction. Was it still like – was there still noise yeah, happening? Yeah, there was noise happening. But I mean, not like – But not like it was. Who, um, so who was there? Like who, So we, we was, did a quick kind of lap. Uh, as far as guitar brands, let's see. There was Martin – you know, Furch guitars, there a Taylor's there. I think Taylor has their like normal upstairs booth right. set up. Um there was like uh Red Panda effects was there. I walked by the big um pedal booth. The, the deli. Yeah. The delicious audio thing. Yep. Delicious mm-hmm. audio. The coolest booth that I saw today, Third Man Records was there for their first time right. with uh Copper Sound, uh-huh. who did the telegraph thing uh-huh. with Jack White. Yeah. And I had a total nerd moment. Okay. So if, if people aren't familiar, third man records is Jack White's label. That's his whole brand. They do all this, you know, and they've been getting into guitar pedals. Yep. So they were there showing it's their first name ever. And they had a really cool booth set up. You know, it's very on brand for them, black and yellow and funky, everything Yeah. sitting next to on the floor, just on a regular stand was a copper Gretsch double cut jet with three filter trons. Oh. And I was looking at it and I was like, dude, that looks like the 
that looks like Jack White's Raconteurs guitar. Uh-huh. And I'm a huge Raconteurs fan. Like they're one of my favorite bands ever. Yeah. And so I was looking at it and it was, it's like pretty beat up and it was there and it was just sitting there on a stand, like literally one of these stands mm-hmm. right here. And uh, it was attached to their demo board and was talking to one of the guys. He's like, yeah, are you a guitar player? I was like, yeah. And so I, he st- I started playing the stuff and I, I looked at it. And I was like, Hey man, is this the, like the early Raconteurs guitar? And he didn't say anything, but he looked at me and he did one of these. He's like, <laughs> like just a little head nod. And I was like, oh, sick. Sweet. This is cool. Did it have the mic in it? <laughs> no, it's not that one. It's not that one. It's it's his, it's from the early like Consolers of the Lonely Era. You see the videos where he's playing the Copper Gretsch. Oh, okay. It's like a double cut duo jet with three. It's rad. Yeah. And the back of the neck's all worn out. Um, So that was the coolest moment for me, I think. I got to play Jack White's guitar from my favorite jack white band era and it's just on the floor like anyone can go pick it up and grab it and play. right yeah that's awesome yeah Yeah, i i uh, i was gonna hang with the copper sound guys they're Uh, really nice no they're great yeah yeah and that that telegram pedal he was showing me everything because their display is actually really cool they have like in a display case their entire prototyping phase for that pedal so they have like the breadboard of the original analog series and then they have all the the circuit boards with the chips because it's dsp it's right kind of like a pog i guess yeah yeah um and then they had the first prototype that they let jack play um i forget on what gig and he showed me that all of the little telegram like uh switches and buttons were bent and like torn up and he's like yeah we learned with this first one that we had to brace and make them out of a stronger metal because jack like beat the shit out of this thing Hmm. he's like yeah so they had all the different prototypes. They had the one that the Tours took on tour in 2019. Um, it was oh, a really cool booth. This one? Yeah. Aha. Yeah, we'll put this in the video. Yeah. That's cool. So that's I, very I, cool. Let me see. It has a different pick guard on it now. Like they – yeah, that's it. The triple jet. It has a black pick guard on it now. And then the pickups have been, uh, I think – no, that's it. That's it. They've just changed the pick guard. So I played that guitar this morning. Cool. And I was kind of having a moment with it. Oh, uh, speaking of guitars, it's a little side sidebar here. Um, did you see the new Billy Gibbons signature guitar? No. Oh. Show me. Okay. So do you remember the gyrock system, the rotating? Yes. All right. So I guess Billy was really into that. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. But he released this new guitar. I thought I texted this to you, but I guess I didn't. And whoa, it's from Wild Customs, which is a company that I'm not familiar with. Oh, they with. do the Gyrock thing, I think. Oh, is that who it I is? I think it is, yeah. <clears throat> and it looks, for those listening, it's like kind of got an Explorer vibe, but small kind of thing. And it's you know, got a big plastic pickguard on it. This is this is really reminding me of the St. Vincent signature. Well, that, that's what... Uh, uh, some or I think uh, some of the Novo guys were saying, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's so it comes with a variety of different pickups that uh, all of like all of his signature Seymour Duncan stuff, the pearly, and then he has a bunch of custom shop things, right? Um, that you can put in here. But guess how much this is? Oh God! Just is this going to make me mad? Just a, a shot in the dark. All right. <clears throat> so it's Wild Customs. It How many are they making, or is it just a production uh, run? I don't. It, I don't recall seeing if there was any like number on them, but it comes with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different pickups and a strap, and all yeah, right. it comes with all that. 
So we'll put this on the video. Uh, I'm going to say, and this is an honest guess, $54.99. I I I yeah. saw it and was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then I saw the price and I was like, you, no way. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was too loud. Dude. I was clipping the mic there. It's okay. <laughs> I... Okay, so I like it. I think it's cool. I do not like it. I think it's funky. <laughs> right? Oh, the chat's loving this. Um, Shout out to our Discord chat. Oh, yeah, sorry. Shout out to Discord. We're we actually we're going to try something new on this episode that we might end up regretting. But we have everyone in a uh, in a live sort of hang, like a like a channel here. And we're going to do a little, uh, little radio show, talk show call-in thing. <laughs> You're on the air. We'll call it Tone Line or something like that. <laughs> The tone line. The tone line. Yeah. All these merch ideas that oh we need to cash God, in dude. on, right? The tone line. Okay, great. Budweiser so, logo shape. That is absolutely. Oh, that's right. The, it looks the, like the Budweiser logo. It looks logo. like a Budweiser logo. How yes. long before someone turns one into a Budweiser logo? I think that guitar, there's been like a Budweiser bow tie sort of guitar. Of I, course I, there I, has. I, I like, I've probably seen it in an Applebee's somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Like yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. Okay. Uh, great. Anyway. $10,000. <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, I totally derailed this this NAM train. But I mean, that, that may be there. I don't know. It's like This, of course, is the time that regardless of whether you're at the show or not, like new stuff gets always gets announced. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is there cool. It is. There's yeah. the Budweiser guitar. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. For $10,000. Okay. Let, like, let's, let's, I mean, we're going to, we're just going to derail completely. That's fine. What? would you buy for $10,000? If you had $10,000 it had to be spent on one instrument, uh, where would you go? One instrument? Yeah, just like one thing, what would you buy? Because okay, this is that an interesting, but this me. is interesting though, because at $10,000, you're not going to really get into a golden era vintage guitar from, from Fender or Gibson. Well, yeah, I mean, you could get like a special or a junior. Yeah. I mean, like you could get a killer junior. Yeah. Um, I mean. But you're not going to get a black cartel. You're not going to get an early strat. You're you not could get a broken get a, one or like one that had like, you know, all the pickups would be rewound or, you know. so Yeah, you, but even like player grade stuff now yeah. for like early 60s strats, they're more than 10. Yeah, they're about 15. Right. But you could still, you could, I mean, you, and you could get a custom shop something. You but could, that's the thing, right? Yeah. $10,000 is a weird you're in a weird price range. It's there. a lot of money, but it's, it's also a lot of money like, because it's enough money that you're like, man, I feel like I should get something vintage. Right. That's like going to hold its value. It's going to retain its value, maybe appreciate at some point. Or am I going to go custom shop and spend an arm and a leg on a brand new guitar? Oh, what are you looking at? Uh, this is weird because I don't have the chat pulled up. Sorry, so Eastside Music Supply. They have one of the Budweiser guitars are you right now. Me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How much? Oh, I, I didn't even look. Um, nine hundred bucks. Not you go buy that. Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Put it, it in. It here. has a it has a pickup cover with an eye. Like it's like <laughs> it's dude. It's horrible. Oh my God. Anyway, that's one that like you. Um, actually, that's, that's perfect a for Billy Gibbons guitar because he right. could like put his thing on the back of it and flip it up. You know, I can't. I, I can't look at the chats. Like it's, beer me or something. There's a a, a PV PBR. <laughs> Okay, but for $10,000, okay. Yeah. You could go get a top-of-the-line Murphy Lab Gibson or top – I mean, even – that's more than most 
custom you could get like a master built fender mm-hmm. you know yeah something like that what would you go for and it has to be an instrument on one instrument yeah, but it doesn't have to be electric guitar it could be an acoustic guitar it could be a uh, an amplifier it could be <laughs> yeah the dutch burst it'd be the dutch burst yeah yeah is that about how much it was it was i think 14 what yeah Ooh, I, somebody tagged me recently on a uh, a pearly gates les paul that showed up that wasn't the aged and signed it was just a normal one twelve thousand dollars yeah now the guy who bought the dutch burst listens to the pod and emailed me because remember a couple weeks ago or no no it was it was on my channel i put out a call on oh. a q a video i was like hey if any because somebody asked uh what's one guitar that got away and right. it's the dutch burst yeah yeah and the guy emailed me. Oh, no. He was like, hey, I'm the guy that bought the Dutch Burst. He's rubbing like, it in I was your like, face. <laughs> well, but I started reading the email. I was excited. He's like, I thought he was going to say something like, I've got the Dutch Burst. Here's how much I want for it. But he didn't. Mm. He was like, hey, man, got the Dutch Burst. It's a great guitar. I know that. And he's like, if I ever decide to sell it, you'll be the first one to know. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like every day that ticks away on that guitar, the price just goes up. And I up. really, dude, and <clears throat> now at looking at the price that they offered me, I should have bought that guitar. You never know. You know, like, I should have bought it. I mean, looking back, you know, we should have bought every custom shop Gibson. You know, I, my first custom shop Gibson, I bought for $2,500 new, you know, Les Paul. It was black. Right. But – you can't do that now. No, you can't. So you just can't. So that's you would try to find a Dutch burst if you had that. I, it would be the Dutch burst. I'd take oh. that ten grand and I would email that guy and I would say, flapping in his face. Here it is. You know, I would probably try to find it, uh, a, a a late fifties, early sixties double cut special. That's probably the better move, honestly. Yeah, yeah. or really like screaming fifty nine junior. Yeah, like a like a good one. You could get into one for that for sure yeah total all day yeah and then you're looking at something that's gonna appreciate forever or at least hold its value at the very least and then appreciate um i i had after rj borrowed he borrowed my clon and uh the wildwood and and, uh my friend jesse's gold clon that i had and he did like a shootout video he was like the silver one's really good Mm -hmm. someone emailed me and offered me an obscene amount of money for it and I was like, no, I can't, I can't, but it's, cra- it's crazy. It's Don't crazy. let this turn into another uh, cryptocurrency situation <laughs> that you found yourself in. We're like, dude, I, I, Don't, I can't talk. I can't even think about it. It makes me I told, sick. I told you like, man, that's you amazing. Did. You should sell. You're like, you no said, way, man. It's no go, way, man. It's go way harder to, than to this, the dude. moon, to the moon. And then you rode that ship all the way, <laughs> the way back down to where I started. <laughs> it's okay. So any, anyway, Nam. Yeah. Um, is there, does it feel like a hopeless sort of destitute event now? Well, or? if you walk in there right now and you take stock of where it currently sits, yes. Yeah. It feels over. But the reality is this NAM isn't really the make or break NAM. It's going to be this winter NAM. 100%. Yes. Right. It, it's it's going to be this winter NAM. And I think one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to see in the next six months, things really start to turn around, you know, countries lifting out of lockdown because um, winter NAM is a much more international event. Summer NAM is mostly like a North America thing. Yeah. And 
Winternam is like you got people coming coming in from all over the world. So you've got the international component. If supply chains start to loosen up and get back to normal and, and people can, you know, like I ran into the guy, Derek, who is my Hercules stands. Rep, mm, right. And he, the, he came up to me. He's like, Hey man, I've been trying to get you these stands for like, I forgot about it. Like I, I, when we were moving into the new place, I needed a couple new stands. Right. He's like, dude, like they're just, we can't get them. Yeah. Like there, you just nothing you can do. So I think if that stuff starts to ease up, then we'll see NAM start to come back. But here's the thing. And we've talked about this before. Even today, walking around, the best part about NAM is it's the two times a year where the industry all comes together and you get to see your friends. You get to talk to people like between last night, Gibson Garage and today on the NAM floor, I got introduced to and, and met a lot of people that I've wanted to meet for a really long time. Yeah. You know? And trading numbers and, and like connecting with people, that really is the reason to come to NAM. Yeah. And that'll never change. So whether or not it's a trade show, you know, industry event, I think there's always going to be a need for some kind of event where the industry comes together and people work together. I, I had a meeting last night with a company and talked about that very thing and told them about our like oh, we need to talk about con that. thing or yeah. con idea. We'll have to talk about this off Offline. air. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think it's going to be a thing that happens in the next really probably thing. Well, just like that sort of thing. But I want our thing to happen. I do too. And we need to have the dunking booths and the like the carnival food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So talking about the Gibson Garage, uh, I saw like one story on Instagram from you guys, and uh, it just ended with Tilly saying, "This is so cool" or something like that. And like, I want to now. I need to be filled in. Now I feel like I missed out. Okay, so last night was um, it was it was so the, these kind of things happen all the time at Nam. It's like these quote unquote private party things. Yeah, yeah. They're not really private. It's like you just have to ask and you can get in. Sure, an invite kind of thing. But it was like their sort of like launch of the Gibson Garage, and it was like a pretty corporate thing. It was like a you know um a lot of their dealers and and things like that. Yeah, I saw Walter. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I ran into Walter and Christy and and um, anyway, so. Tilly and I actually, it was cool for us because we were in Nashville in February of 2020 and we got to see it. Mark took us through it when it was, they had just finished demolishing the inside. They had just taken over the space and it was gutted. And all we saw was like, you know, bare concrete floor and wires hanging from the ceiling. And I mean, it was a wreck. They had Mm -hmm. just finished. And then so to walk in there last night and see it, was actually really cool. Yeah. They have done a really great job with that space. Regardless of what you think about Gibson, regardless of, you know, what you think about the company or whatever, I think if you're ever in Nashville and you are interested in guitars, it's worth going and at least sticking your head in and seeing it because it's pretty impressive Yeah, what they've done. Uh, and I think they've got some really smart things going on there. So what you saw in my story was oh. the custom shop section. So it's this whole space spot in the Gibson garage where you can, you know, if you're wanting to go and like make the pilgrimage to Nashville, so to speak, to pick out your dream custom shop, Les Paul, they have these drawers in this wall. So you push a button on the wall and these motorized, uh, like pieces of wall come down that have blank maple tops, like glued up tops and you can, they're all numbered and you Uh can say, I want that there's my top. Right. And then, then they open a drawer and in all the drawers 
there's a there's a bunch of carved just maple tops with the different bursts. So uh-huh. you can sit there and say, okay, well, this is a lemon burst versus a factory burst. And right. then they open another drawer and there's all the necks, oh. right? So you can like feel the different neck profiles. And then they've got another drawer with all the hardware options and everything. So you can literally like spec your guitar out piece by piece, mm-hmm. which I think is actually super cool. Yeah, they, they did that in pockets at big dealers with their made-to-measure program. But it was it was really like... There'd be like a couple necks hanging on, you know, yep. like pegboard sort of thing. But right. that, yeah, th- that's, that's awesome. I love anything with motors it's, that moves. There's, there's know. some pageantry about the whole place that I have found really. And then like, you know, the ceiling, there's literally hundreds of guitars on this conveyor belt oh. that like go around the whole place and they're all for sale. So it's like, if you, you there was this like Trini Lopez, like custom shop Trini Lopez I was looking at that theoretically you could say, Hey, I'd like to see that guitar. And they punch in the number and then the whole conveyor belt moves around and then the guitar like gets picked out and comes down. And they're like, oh, here you go. Does it like automatically bring it down? I don't know. I they have like a big part. rod. Like, yeah, they've got a, a big like. Store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pull it out. Like, <laughs> um, so it was cool. And then there's the vault. Oh yeah. In the back, um, which is so here is the the coolest thing that I think Gibson is doing right now. They are in the process of buying up as many of their vintage instruments as they can. They're trying to find the best examples possible. Okay. And they're doing this for two reasons. Reason one is they want real life examples that they can take to Tom Murphy in the Murphy lab and say, okay, look at how this neck wore. Look at how, you know, Oh, right here with where this switch. So they can try and get their Murphy lab stuff as close as possible. That's fine. To me, the really cool thing that they're trying to do is, get as many good examples as possible to in their collection to then start to loan out to players who are working on records or who oh, okay. are playing gigs in town or who are, and they're doing this now, right? In their vaults, there's a 58 Karina V. There is a burst. There's two 61 SGs. There's a 64 335. That's 15 serial numbers off of Clapton's mm. 335. I mean, and these guitars, they were telling me like, yeah, dude, if you were in town and you were doing a session, like you wanted a burst for a session, we'll, we'll come deliver it to you and you can use it on your session. Oh and you don't God. have to be some, you know, now they're not going to let well, just anybody <laughs> do it. Right. Yeah. But like attention discord listeners, here's what it is. It's like the, the, the thing that I drew it to is like, you think about Stradivarius violins, right? The, the arguably the most sought after musical instruments, probably in existence. Oh, yes. They're millions of dollars yes. a piece, yeah. but they're still being played. Yeah. What they're owned by, you know, some rich private collector or they're owned by a foundation that then loans them out to some of the best violinists in the world right. to be played and heard. And that's what Gibson's trying to do with their own guitars. They're trying to get good examples. So like the 59 they had in the vault has never been sold. Mark what? told me that he got it from the original family. Oh, really? And he he found out that they were like about to sell it. And he was able to get to it before it went to auction. A, pr- a private collector right. or something. So I think that's really cool. You that know? is cool. Those are really cool. It's not like other museums that are out there that have these guitars, these collections that just sit behind glass. Sure. Or that they just exist in some private collection that you'll never hear it or ever see it again. Right. It's kind of like what... 
Uh, and I don't know if, if they're still there, but the big house, they would like yeah. let people play Dwayne's guitars, yeah. which is amazing. I mean, could you imagine like, yeah. hey, hey, here's Dwayne's yeah. gold top. You right. can gig with this tonight and we'll right. bring it to you. Well, I think that's would one. Would you freak out? How I, much would you freak out? I think out? they might be trying to do that kind of thing too. Is like, <laughs> right. it's trying to get their hands on the stuff. And the whole idea is like, they want to A, preserve the guitars and have them as part of their thing and whatever, but to be able to loan them out and let people play them yeah. and let people hear them. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, overall, I liked it. I thought it was a great time. If you're in Nashville, I think it's worth checking out. Yeah. I I, I need to go over there and just see what's going on. They're going to be cool like, you get out of here. Dude, they We've have heard some really cool said. Apple phones over there too that I hadn't even seen before. New ones or old ones? New ones. Oh, yeah. 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 You know what? I wish they would bring back the the Sheridan with mini humbuckers, which is like Like that. the Robin Ford yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and I think they have made a few of those, but like that – those are just such cool guitars. And I think they had like the, the resophonic bridge or whatever, yeah. you know, I don't know if Robbins has that. Uh, but yeah, like I love those guitars. Yeah, How man. long have we been going? I don't know. Chris, where are we at? Uh, yeah, normally I have, say it. it should maybe chat could tell us, but 37 minutes. Oh, nice. do we have a rig to dip? I, I don't, I didn't look. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, let's see. Uh, I feel so weird cause I can't read the chat right now. Cause I've got this thing open. All right. Why don't we, why don't we try, uh, you, you see if we can find a rig. Let's try taking a, you want to try a tone line question here? Yeah. yeah let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's take a risk. Let's, let's, uh, so here's how this see is going to work up on the tone line. There's about uh 20 something people in here right now. If you have a question, you can raise your hand and, we're going to do this super pro. I'm just going to hold my phone <laughs> up to the microphone and we're going to see. All right. Here we go. Master Machetier. All right. You're live on the air. What's your question? So uh, you mentioned that NAM was a place or NAM, I guess, was a place where you can um, kind of meet up with people, exchange numbers and stuff in the community. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about NAM is there's more stuff than just guitars, right? And um, online, we see a lot of these small communities coming up with uh, communities of guitarists, communities of drummers, communities of bassists or whatever. But I feel like there's not a lot of interchanging. Has, have you ever thought about kind of melding those groups together where a place where people can kind of collaborate with music in a way? No, they're that, not invited. <laughs> hey, man, this is a guitar. This is a guitar event, man. No, that's a really good question, actually. Um, so... I, I don't actually see the way NAM exists currently. I don't actually see a lot of intermingling between different musician types, if you will. Yeah. Um, not to say it doesn't happen, right? Especially if you have friends and, and like people are at NAM, you kind of meet up and stuff. But generally, like the guitarists kind of hang out with the guitar area and the bassists kind of hang out in the bass area. And uh, I think that's just that's just part of the culture. But it would be really cool to see a more sort of inclusive event like that. Yeah. And I think mainly it's because NAM is such a, it's a, it's a business event, you know, for the most part. So it's a trade show. It's a trade show. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, all these people are there mainly to talk to dealers, talk to artists, talk to people in their field so they can make a business move. And, and it, I don't think it's ever been something that people are like, I'm not going to the drum section. It's just like they might not have any business going over there. And it's so – everything happens so quickly. Like 
I mean, you know, like, oh, I have this video with Premier Guitar at this time and I got to be over here at this time. It's like you don't really have time to even go like explore or have fun in these places because you're just slammed the yeah. whole time. Yeah, it's a busy it's a busy time for sure. Yeah. But it does bring up a good point of like how how would you make something that was more holistic in like getting the different sort of instruments to to mingle with one another. But I don't I don't know that that'll ever happen with Nam because again it is just inherent uh, in its sort of design so to speak. It's a trade show. Yeah. And it's really about vendors and dealers coming together and doing business. That's really at its core what it's about. And then vendors announcing new products and things like that. And it is feels very segmented because like they put like-minded companies together right. and that, and that's for their advantage so that, you know, I, I'm not going to be a pedal builder out. I want to be with the other pedal companies, not out with the amp companies or, or what, I mean, like you're close to those things, but they wouldn't put me near the drums or the right. keyboards necessarily. Right. But I will say the, the one area where there is a lot of crossover is in the recording world. Yeah. So like UA's booth, for example, is always slammed with everyone. Because there's like modular stuff and recording stuff and keyboard stuff and it's right. all kind of living in the right. same. Right, or, or microphones. Yeah. Like I walked by AEA's booth and, and looked at their new stuff. I mean, because the reality is no matter what instrument you play, especially if you're on a professional level, you're involved in the recording space in some form or fashion. And so that's sort of the one area that everyone kind of congregates around. Yeah. But uh, nice, good question. Maybe we take one more here yeah. on the tone line. So we need a jingle for this. The tone line. <laughs> <Da, da, da. laughs> God, <laughs> Jesus. All right, cool. We got one more here. Let's see. See Mars. Okay. Hello. Hello. What's up? Welcome to the tone line. You're on the air. <laughs> yes. Tone hot. Tone hotline. I need your help. Yeah. <laughs> So my question is for Zach, actually, oh, and no. uh, I want to know what the deal is with artifacts on analog delays, oh. and why it sounds so different from pedal to pedal. Uh, yeah, just I have three different analog delays, and they all sound different with different artifacts, and I was just wondering why. Well, a lot of that, because <clears throat> just like a, a fuzz or something, you have to tune them. Basically, right. you have to like set a clock and do all you have to dial everything in. Now, with the the Oracle, all that's set with resistors, but on many analog delays, it's all set with trim pots. So because these things are so sensitive and you're working with um, different power supplies, which, you know, two power supplies, if you ever put a meter on them, one might be nine, one might be 9.2. And all those tiny fluctuations can really cause even two pedals of the same type to vary. But the biggest thing for all the different like analog stuff, different chips sound different, even if they have like the same amount of milliseconds. Um, but it's all about how the manufacturer really goes in there and sets the voltages and the resistance and all that stuff for, for the, the parameters of that chip. And unless you do it like how I do it, where it's fixed pretty much the same way, um, where the only variance is the chips themselves, you have a human doing that. Mm -hmm. So uh, on, on an analog circuit anyway. So that's where you get those sort of subtle differences, right. which I think is like the beauty of it. Just I like a too. fuzz. Right. I love analog delay. Yeah. Have you seen the new, uh, the new Sir analog delay just came out? I saw it, but I haven't heard it. I yet. watched a demo on YouTube of it this morning. 
It's pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Are you going to throw the Oracle in the trash? I was probably going to sell the Oracle, honestly. You should. Yeah. Just get rid of it, you know, because there's not. No, No, honestly, because it does a different thing. And you're right. That's kind of the beauty of analog delays is that you kind of have an excuse to have multiple ones because, like, my delay llama sounds way different than the Oracle, which sounds way different than the Sur would. Mm -hmm. You know, they all are very different things. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, it does. Thank cool. you. Uh, I, I was wondering, so I have an electroharmonics uh, memory man that mm-hmm. runs at 24 volts. Right. And uh, my other two run at 9. And mm-hmm. the ones that run at 9 have noticeably more artifacts. Uh, right. And, I, you know, I, I'm guessing there's a lot of factors, but I'm guessing voltage is one of them based on your answer. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they run uh, at different... Yeah, it, they run at different headrooms and you know this the the voltage has a huge impact on everything penny just just wandered into the uh the podcast here she's wanting the bone there we go dude i think the tone line's working out i like the tone i think we should make this a a segment this would be a monthly thing no we'll do this we'll do one a show every show yeah (laughs) why not rig (laughs) listen listen because this is i'll admit okay this one uh this episode is kind of thrown together but like, we like have most of our <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, but we have the uh, the technology to make this like a more consistent and professional thing. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. We do. We just need a. We need to be in person every time. We need holograms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, future technologies. We should talk to Joel at Chase Bliss. I'm sure he could figure something out for us. Yeah, he yeah. knows all about that. Stuff. He does. That's like his mo. It's <laughs> what that fuzz pedal makes me feel like every time I play it. <laughs> right. It's the uh, yeah nice. Okay, cool. Do we want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. All right, is one it- more. Uno mas. Okay, now this this is a special one here. We've got uh, the one and only I play bass coming up, who's keeper of our our famous uh, rig dipping scroll. Uh, and uh, I think there's a shill list now. I don't know who. who oh, is there a shill list? Too? And there's the drinking game list. Right. Okay. So. All right, I've added him. So. Hello. Uh, welcome, welcome to the can tone line. We, can you can you hear us? Welcome to the tone line. Uh, what's your what's your question, caller? Mister Show. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Uh, my question is when, like you and Noah play out, um, and Noah does a song like "Tied to the Whipping Post." I'm guessing somebody's got to get paid for that. How does that happen? Oh, you know That's what? A That's good, a really good question. A really good question. Um, so. I actually don't know. Uh, it's I, I definitely know that like nobody's cutting checks to anyone at the end of a song. There's also the fact that the way we play whipping posts is quite a bit different in some ways to the original Almond Brothers version. Now, um, there's a difference, I think, in live performance versus posting a cover online i know for a fact that if if we put a a cover up on youtube depending on how close it is to the original and all that kind of stuff um a a lot of times your video will get demonetized yeah and and the money that's earned from the adsense revenue will go to the copyright holder uh which oftentimes is some label or some subsidiary or some holding company or something very very rarely does you know like YouTube AdSense ever end up in the pockets of like the actual artists, which kind of makes me think that it's sort of designed that way, right? You know, 
kind of gets lost in the fray a little bit there. But in terms of um, in terms of the live performance, I'll be honest. This is something that I learned when I was in music school in my music business class, and I have since forgotten. I don't know <laughs> what the protocol is for that. Yeah, I, get, I mean, if it was recorded and 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 replayed anywhere, then you'd have to right. like on if you did a cover and it was on Spotify. Uh, yes, now yeah, exactly. If you're going to do a cover and put it on a record, yeah, then you do have to go through. I think it's the Harry Fox agency, and you have to get like there. There's a whole process. Uh, to that. So if Noah wanted to put whip and post on his next record, then that would have to be handled there. Um, but yeah, in terms of just live performance, I actually don't know. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the, well, the reason I ask is that I can remember when we, we used to buy sheet music when that was a thing. Um, I think that was like written on the back of it. Oh, really? You know, that you couldn't, you couldn't perform it for, you know, essentially for pay. Right. Without paying somebody. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, I think that is still a thing in the church world too. Like in the worship world, you'll see it's called a, I think it's called like a CCLI number where basically churches are buying the rights to perform and show the, the lyrics of a, of a specific worship song in a service. Um, and I always thought, I, I, yeah. So I, you know what? I don't know. And hopefully we don't like have the IRS or something come knocking on Noah's door after this <laughs> they, podcast. They, they've episode. been alerted. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking more ASCAP and BMI. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they do, but it's. I think it's also depending on the whoever's organizing the show. So I know like a lot of venues. If you're a venue that hosts live music, you have to pay a uh, a PRO like BMI, ASCAP to do that. So like the festival that we just played lakefront music festival in, uh, Lake prior, prior Lake, prior Lake, Minnesota. Um, I imagine that's part of like what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Cause it's not just us playing covers. It's, I mean, you know, um, what, one of the headliners played Margaritaville. Oh, and it wasn't Jimmy Buffett playing. Oh, yeah. So why? Because it was no, a country festival. No, it was a it was a straight up country festival. It was actually a good time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a that's a a long winded way to say I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, there you go. That's the first uh, the first ever episode and instance of uh, Tone Talk. Yeah hopefully it translates to the podcast. It's going to be a lot of like jump cuts in this one. I think. Yeah, I think so. And dude, lastly, I think we should wrap up. I had, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but how your gig, how, how did, how did you feel like physically? I felt pretty good. Yeah. I was, Cause I was sore. concerned. Like I, you were going to hurt. I wasn't concerned. Tilly was concerned. Right. Um, but so I was a little sore um, and it wasn't because of the playing. It was because of switching guitars. Oh, so like I, I lowered my straps down a little bit to kind of give myself more room to get the guitars on and off and that helped. But, you know, with Noah's set, I'm playing three guitars and I'm switching pretty regularly. Right. Uh, and, and, and I even tried to like pare down my switching. Cause sometimes in normal circumstances, you know, like I, I might just switch a guitar cause I want to use a different sound or different tone on a song, but on this show, I just kept it as straight ahead as possible. And I was still switching like every second or third song. Right. And so that, that wore on me a little bit. So you're saying that the very acts 
is starting to look really appealing. I didn't say that, and I don't <laughs> think I ever will say that. You know what? <laughs> I went to a gig once, not like not soon after those those guitars came out, and I thought, oh, here we go. This guy's got the very excellence. What are, what are we in for? And I was pleasantly surprised. You I'm, know, I'm sure. I'm sure they sound great. And I'm sure that there's lots of people out there that have them and love them. I'm shocked that there's still like a thing. Like you can go to line six. I mean, like no dig on like line six and what they do in that respect. Like, cause some of those are cool guitars, but I'm kind of surprised that you can go buy a new one. You know what I'm surprised about speaking of line six and guitars, why hasn't Revstar caught on board? Revstar? Yeah. The Yamaha, Yamaha Revstar stuff. I don't know. They're really good. Yeah. But people don't think about them. I, I, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I love the one they made for Chris Buck. Yeah. So it's like a an antique gold. It's like a relics gold with hump with P90s. And it's so it's so cool. And I feel like it and the normal ones are just like yeah, they're different. not quite the same. Cause I know they pushed really hard when those came out. There's a lot of people here in town that they they gave them to to try to lift them up. And everyone's like, Yeah, you know, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. But I don't know. Mm. I, I, I kind of want one. I do too a little bit. Yeah. I, I when I started with the pickup thing, I thought, you know, I should I should get a couple of guitars to like mess with, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. So well there you go. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of, you have a shill of the week? Because I've got one. You know what? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna self shill. Self shill. So <gasps> uh recently we decided, Joey and I decided to do more high roads and we've been making these and I've been playing them again and I got to get you one. Cause yeah, I've never played one. <laughs> it's so, it's such a good fuzz and uh, you know, money goes to Joey's pocket, which is important to me yep. cause he's my friend and he's not gigging right now. Right. So it's good to help take care of him and his family. But I love this pedal. I love the art of it that was designed by his sister-in-law. And so this isn't a self shill. This is a shill for Joey. This is Joey shill. It's yes. a Joey shill. Great. <laughs> And it's a good size. It's pocket did, size. Did he pick the, the form factor? Did so you? originally it was in a bigger box. Right. And uh, we only sold a few. And then after that kind of like stopped and people still wanted them, I said, hey, let's make some mini ones. And mainly the idea was he could sell them as merch. Right. And he sold hand over fist. He would sell 15 plus at a gig, which yep. like for a band, I mean, Brothers Landreth is a sizable band, but they're not huge. Right. And 15, like, they, they you know, upcharge them because of the gig, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't buy a T-shirt at a gig for cheap. You right. buy it on the website after it's all over. And he, made, he, made a lot, he made a lot of money, which right. was great, and it helps really take care of things on the road. So That's such a smart idea that I'm going to try and do one day. <laughs> like, just sell paddles. Dude, the first time I ever saw it, uh, first person I ever saw it do it was Bonamassa. Yeah. He was selling his, like. Fuzz face on the road, and I bet he sells out of them like crazy. Uh, yeah, because Joey he would have he would have them, and he would have a, a sharpie, and people would buy them. He'd sign it, and they would be happy awesome. as a clam. Yep, happy so. as a clam. All right, I've got I got a shill. Oh, here we go. Uh, Audio land, you can't see this, but Mythos pickups. There they are. They're here and they're available now. No, Click no, the link no. down below. <laughs> He'll just start making them and shipping them out. 
Uh, no, actually. So these are the first set of humbuckers that you just wound, right? Like yeah. the first completed set. Yeah, I wound. I think I wound that one like Monday of last week. Yeah. So you're planting it in here a minute ago through this two rock. Yeah. You really should get a better amp in here, though. I know. If it's kind of crappy, and, like, isn't it? If you're going to try to show people your you stuff. Know, I mean, it looks way too nice and it sounds fine. way too good. It's Look, it's fine, but like don't. If you're trying to be a pro, it's like if you want perfection, you have to get that. But like, who needs that? Well, it's not even that. It's just like, you know, like I said, just get a better amp. Anyways, um, this sounds really good. It's so, so that's exactly what Dennis said. So I put them in there and I gave it to Dennis and said, play this and let me know what you think. And he, he, the, after the weekend, I saw him on Monday. He's like, you know what? Pretty good. They're pretty good. <laughs> I was like, pretty okay, good. Good enough. Now you notice. My my voice went up an octave. Mm-hmm. Dennis's voice probably was like, yeah, they're, good. they're not great. There's a couple things that need to change. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bridge pickup's a little bright. It's fair. Well, again, I said, I think that might be this and the pine. Sure. But it is bright. It's bright. And uh, I'll figure it out. <laughs> but the, pro- the what I'm saying, though, is for the first time ever winding a pickup, you're 90% there. I'm pretty – I feel pretty close. Right. Uh, and um, – I don't. I don't know if I mentioned last time, but John, he's a he's a relatively new hire at Novo. He 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 worked for Stan Winston Studios. He like helped make the T Rexes, and he worked on the T one hundred like Terminators. And he's an engineer, right? Uh, and he's he helped doing all the computer design over there. And he's really into three D printing, and so he's going to help me get my like auto traversal jig and everything yeah. set up like proper because he's he's like oh yeah i printed all this stuff and made a, a cnc machine out of it it's like well i printed a cnc machine <laughs> wow. um but i once i get that sort of dialed in and my whole hope and dream is that i do like a handful and then sell them and see how it goes and so he's taking pre-orders now <laughs> click the link down below go ahead and get on the list uh I- i'm gonna sell these two <laughs> These are early prototypes, uh, the first ones ever. So these are going for two grand a piece. Mm. Uh, you can email Rhett at RhettShull.com. We'll figure out a commission later. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Mythos Pickups. <laughs> They're here. <laughs> Not. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Well, there you go. That's it. Our second in-person episode ever. Yeah. And I still haven't modded that tube screamer. <laughs> I forgot about that. Bye, everybody.